0: really looks like remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelylea.com or at thelovelylea on instagram so we can connect become a patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests freebies early access to new episodes discounts on merch and more what's up guys i hope you guys had an awesome week last week Um, it's been so fun to talk to you guys about last week's episode. It sounds like you guys got a lot out of it. So it's so fun to, um, talk to you guys directly and see what you're responding to this week. We are having another listener question. Um, but as a housekeeping note, don't forget to go ahead and go below this episode And send in your own voice message of a question you might have about the show or um, about your own spiritual questions, in addition to submitting your spooky stories um, for our Halloween episode. And so um, they don't have to be spooky, but, you know, paranormal in nature or something like that could be cool. And also, if you're feeling led to leave a message about how the show has helped you, um, we're going to air those this Thursday on the show for spiritual shits birthday. So either way, we'd love to hear from you and uh, let's get on with our listener question this week. Hi,
1: Aliyah. Thank you so much for all of your knowledge that you share. I have a question. I'm right at the beginning of my spiritual awakening. And to be honest, there's so much about this that just scares the shit out of me. Um, just the other day, Hearing kind of like voices directly from spirit guides, for example, what do you do to overcome that fear, or do you even have any fear? What advice might you have? Thank you.
0: That is an excellent question, Kason. Thank you for asking. Um, man, if you're not scared, you I guess you're not doing it right, right? <laughs> like this stuff scares the shit out of me too. I absolutely have fear. Um, or definitely had fear in the beginning in the first few years of it because it was something so unknown to us. And a lot of times we fear the unknown. And I guess for myself, I had to come to a place where I understood that, you know, these aren't things coming in to harm me. It's just something that I'm not used to yet. And so like the first time I did astral travel was so fucking scary. I said, never again, I'll never try this again. I had this Kundalini awakening in the process and started to leave my body. And it was so fucking scary. <laughs> I just, I, I remember just freaking out and being in this kind of like stuck sleep paralysis state for a while. And I was like, will oh, never try that again. And then maybe like a week later after I'd done a ton of research on it, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to try it again. And since then I've, I've actually gotten good at it where I can do it, um, pretty regularly. And so it's something that I'm not scared of anymore because I've gotten used to it. And the same with my spirit guides at first, like hearing from them was kind of like bizarre. And it was like, I don't know what to do with these voices, especially when I started seeing spirits for the first time that (laughs) I kind of told them, okay, I need you guys not to show up. I I'll, I'll listen to you, but I don't want to see you. And so it's about you setting one, your own boundaries about how spirit shows up to you. Um, for what you're ready for. But in addition to that, it's just, it's just practice. It's like riding a bike. The first time you rode a bike, you were super scared because you did not want to fall and, you know, scrape your knee. And at some point you got used to that balance and it wasn't something that you feared anymore. In addition to that, one time someone told me, particularly when it comes to spirits, because I think that that is what seems like people are most scared of, Um, You know, they don't want people to show up in front of them or be hanging over their bed. And unfortunately, our culture has given us uh, such a scary ideal about the spirit world when we are, in fact, so entangled with it all the time. And someone told me once that, um, you know, you're the one with the power. You're the one in the body. And for some reason that helped me shift my fear about what it is that's coming to me that I have the autonomy and the power to be able to call in what it is I'm ready for and, and take out what I'm not. And so um, if you are gifted in that way um, or wanting to be gifted in that way, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be scared. It's It's pretty natural to be those things. And if you're not like you, you know, you just you'll you're you'll be the minority. <laughs> okay. Um, but for the most part, like your fear isn't a bad thing. It's just, you know, you're getting into that place where you're starting to understand what it is that you're calling in and what it means. And that's a really beautiful process. So I hope through this process you'll be able to see um how that gift ends up helping you and how it's there to support you and it's not really there to harm you in any way. So I hope that answers your question. Remember guys, you can submit your own questions at the bottom of this episode where it says send in a message and don't forget to stay till the end of the episode to get a card pool for this week's Weekly Wisdom. Let's get on with the episode. Dan and Sue Hunt run Live Lightly as a husband and wife run company that elevate consciousness through spiritual teachings, mindfulness intensives, and conscious consumption protocols. Dan and Sue teach national workshops and immersion retreats that they offer intensive online courses that range from three days to 12-month contemplative training programs. Together, they founded their non-GMO American-made organic supplement line, Live Lightly Supplements, and Sue has been teaching for 15 years in the U.S. and overseas. Their transformation teachings share the methodologies of Buddhism, Kundalini Yoga, and Vedanta. Sue's knowledge gives students relevant mindfulness techniques that create social change and personal awakening. And Dan, formerly a professional baseball player, has always had a passion for the body and mind optimization. He translates his love of earth and social action into his conscious consumption teachings. Lastly, they hold space for the divine masculine, divine feminine, and a non-binary worldview to understand the soul without gender through their spiritual and partnership courses. We cover so much in this episode, like the expansion of consciousness through consumption, conscious partnership, microdosing, and what it means to leave a cisgendered sexism and adapt a non-binary worldview in the journey of the soul. There's so much to learn from these two guys, like definitely take in everything that we talk about today. Please welcome Dan and Sue to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely. And today I'm super excited to bring you Sue and Dan Hunt, who are the co-founders of Live Lightly. And they got a bunch of shit that we're going to go through today that they offer um, about conscious partnership, universal divine gender, conscious consumption. Uh, One of you is a radical Buddhist. Like we have so many things that we can go through today. Say hi to everybody.
2: Hey, thanks for having us, Aliyah. We're very excited. You're an awesome podcaster and your community is amazing. We feel very honored to be in the space with you.
3: Hey, everyone.
1: <laughs> hey, Dan. So, today's format's a little bit different, guys, because normally I don't interview two people at one time. So, I think this is going to be really cool just to get more viewpoints on the ground. Um, but before we really get started, um, tell the audience a little bit about yourselves, um, also how you guys met and how you came together to form this incredible community of what you do.
3: Yeah, so my name is Dan. Um, I am a former professional baseball player, chef, uh, newfound yogi in the past five, six years. Um, I am very interested in expansion of consciousness through consumption. Uh, I met Sue about five years ago. We were in a rock climbing gym of all places. Um, <laughs> We knew right away, uh, our relationship progressed very fast. We lived nomadically for a number of years. Uh, We now call Taos, New Mexico home.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we met rock climbing, which was super cool because there's just a lot at stake in terms of safety and communication. So that laid a framework for both of us to be um, really committed, really transparent. Just real all the time because it gets really real, really quick when you're in situations like that. Um, I've been teaching and traveling for about 15 years. Uh, We met in the Midwest. So, six or seven years ago, I closed my yoga studio chain and sort of walked away from commercial yoga and decided there had to be a more sustainable, um, more empathetic, more loving way to do this, right? So, that was really the birth of Live Lightly. And then our relationship, we didn't set out to go into business together. It just really organically happened given our interests and the way that we can really
1: support and complement one another. So that's sort of the organic beginnings of Live Lightly. Nice. I did some digging on your YouTube channel and I saw your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Very simple. I don't kind of want you to tell me about it.
2: <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Would you love my dress? Just a jacket.
1: <laughs> they were in, a, like, in jackets and boots and, and up on some beautiful mountain that had some some flags or something. It should, Was it just you two? If, if
2: yeah. It should... Yeah. So we had to have two witnesses. So we called the judge on a Wednesday and we got married on a Thursday. So we had been engaged for a year, you know, just like not wanting to do the huge wedding. And we actually set our vows at a Zendo in a graveyard, which sounds kind of morbid, but actually it's really like, okay, you know, new beginnings, something has to die in order for this relationship to begin in this way. Let's like really acknowledge that sustainable process together. And then my parents were the witnesses. My sister was on FaceTime, bridesmaid on FaceTime. (laughs) Yeah, and we meditated and that was it.
3: It was I the know. perfect wedding.
4: Yeah.
1: For yeah. <laughs> For, yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of the grooms that I shot would say something similar. <laughs> 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 I don't want to go through the whole debacle. The um, okay. So now we can get into some of the deeper stuff. Um, I want to start with what seems like a basic question, but incredibly loaded. But what does consciousness mean to you?
2: Definitely. Yeah, that's a really important question, I think, right out of the gate, because there's a lot of ways that we can apply the definition personally in a micro and then also in a macro. So it inherently contains both of those perspectives. So, right, we say I'm conscious of, right, that means in relationship to my body, my subjective reality, my understanding of other people, the universe, religion, the situation, politics—right? I'm conscious of, and then consciousness is that sort of untangible aspect that you know some can relate it to God, some could relate it to the divine spark of the universe. Right? It's the like web of the quantum that doesn't have a personal identity. So it's sometimes nice to differentiate those two things and and how we use the word in relationship to our personal self and then also to the macro. I mean, that's my definition. I'd love to hear what Dan has to say.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also have a background in science. So my definition might come off a little scientific, but I see, I see consciousness, um, as our relation to the energetic qualities of the universe and, you know, energetic qualities, what does that mean? That's not this ethereal thing. Um, if you've looked into quantum mechanics, quantum physics and I know you have everything is energy so I see that relation to all energetic frequencies uh, universally.
1: I, I like this conversation <laughs> it embodies both sides of me this is great um, So when I went through your website that that word is used a lot and um, you know whether it's conscious consumption, conscious partnership, um, conscious teaching and learning. Um, let's start with partnership first, since we got two people here. Um, what does it mean to live in conscious partnership? And when, what, it, how has that changed you both? Whew. I know I just come in hitting. i <laughs> sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so important. So Full transparency, I think I had had a lot of relationships prior to Dan that didn't necessarily have the um, reflective quality of what it means to actually grow with another person's energetic field and how to um, sort of quiet my own drama in a way so that I understand that growth on the level that isn't um, self-serving. And that there is a much larger context for the way that we communicate or create together that isn't just about Sue Hunt. And that doesn't mean to bypass Sue Hunt's needs because we need to hear them and make sure that they're acknowledged. But at the same time, when to sort of have that ego check in relationship to Dan so that it isn't... um, so self serving all the time and it gives a, a much larger context to what like unconditional means
4: mm-hmm.
2: right meaning outside of the conditions of my needs and wants sometimes that's a very important position to hold in relationship
3: yeah i, I, I see con- conscious partnership as as looking at the relationship as its own living entity, and your individual work perpetuates the growth and facilitates the homeostasis of that entity if you will Mm -hmm. so you know getting my shit under control so getting her shit under control (laughs) in effort to elevate the the partnership and the relationship Mm -hmm. continually right it's 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 a continual thing there's there's no finish line to that
1: Mm -hmm. now you brought up unconditional love and i just um, had a conversation with my boyfriend about this the other day because he was like yeah you know because I love you unconditionally and I was like I don't know if humans are capable of mm-hmm. unconditional love is it possible to actually love someone unconditionally
2: yeah I think that's a brilliant question I think at times <laughs> at times <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because we are you know having this very human experience and that comes with needs wants desires boundaries. Um, a, a need to be seen a need to be heard and all that perpetuates condition right so I think that that it's a really symbiotic thing where sometimes yes like I can be the blank slate for Dan especially when he's processing and really needing a clear reflection that doesn't have you know my conditions involved but I think all the time and we're sort of setting ourselves up for something that's unattainable it's going to cause a lot of long-term suffering
1: between the two of us so for you, Dan, because it's, it's I guess in our culture, um, it's a little harder to see men who want to be on this journey and um, not to classify everybody, but just like we've seen statistically, uh, what has it been like for you to come from the baseball world, you know, and into this conscious partnership? Um, were you more of the influence? Was she more of the influence? Did you guys both come into this awakening together? How
3: did that work for you yeah that's a great question um, you know coming from the hyper 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 masculine uh, sports world into the world of uh, contemplative life or contemplative practice or spiritual partnership was a breath of fresh air for me <laughs> I did not really identify uh, in the world of athletics you know when I would when I would meet people I would never let them know I'm a baseball player, because instantly there's all these things assumed about me and my persona, and there's these kind of barriers put up that, uh, you know, my true nature will never be found out by that individual because of that, I'll call it a misperception. Mm
4: -hmm. So coming
3: into the yoga world, if you will, was a Mm -hmm. massive relief for me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like you said, People who identify as male are significantly underrepresented in that space. Actually, the other day we were kind of looking at those metrics and all the workshops we've done, all the workshops I've attended, all the classes, it's about 2% male or identifies as male. I mean, we gotta step it up, you know, (laughs) that's that's not gonna work so for me it's 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 been really great uh coming into the space. I don't feel uncomfortable in a room full of women um, you know talking about feelings or anything like that it's 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 a relief for me
1: mm. I think that's important to to note just because i mean look at I can look at my podcast the the amount of uh male versus female interviewers I have when I look at my demographics, the listeners um shout out to our male listeners because I know you're there, <laughs> <laughs> but it's there are a few of them um and their discomfort with the space um and not necessarily because they're uncomfortable but because society tells them that they should be and so that's really nice to hear that that for you was like a you can exhale like you can relieve that um so moving forward in partnership because i know that there's there are a ton of ladies that are like where do we find men like this who can, who's like who are interested in consciousness um for you guys developmentally, like, um, we can look at throughout the world and just see the patterns in which people tend to live their lives and partnership. It seems like to be a core like principle that people need to come together in partnership in order to facilitate some type of life, whether it's conscious or not. Um, how does the partnership facilitate deeper consciousness or, um, greater change? What what is the, the purpose of partnership, um, in a, in a conscious setting?
2: Yes, that's an amazing question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, that's just like right on, and it's gonna force both of us to get really intimate really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that's so interesting for Dan and I, because of you know how the world sees that we identify in our own gender identity is actually really reversed in how our spirits express. So I'm way more masculine. And so that was actually really challenging for me as someone who gets identified as a cis female quite often, even though I don't identify in that way, um, to be so out there, you know, and to sort of be solo and forging her own path in entrepreneurial life has been a part of my life since I, you know, can remember. So, Dan really softened me a lot, and he actually also created a lot of safety so that I could not always have to be that um, front runner all the time and that changed the way that i teach that changed the way that i love that changed the way that we grow a life together because i was able to learn a skill set that society my upbringing hadn't actually allowed me to learn and be okay with and so that was extremely transformative that i really needed that mirror to understand um, how to connect more to my uh, creativity intuition and softness
4: yeah yeah
3: I think it instills a level of accountability that is inaccessible solo mm. uh, True. there was a there was a talk where Chogan Trumpo was asked if you can walk the path without a guru and he said no um, it will just enable spiritual bypassing where you know you bump up against something difficult and eh, maybe I just won't touch yeah. that uh, yeah yeah I'm doing great I'm, I'm killing it um, so and obviously the guru archetype in 2020 is disintegrating yeah but to see a conscious partnership as an adequate replacement for that because there is that level of accountability
4: mm, that gives me chills
1: um, mm-hmm. there's something that I learned in the book of Ra. like, um, I don't know if you know about the law of one, it's probably my top philosophy that I like to identify with, but, um, raw talks about how, uh, essentially co- conscious partnership is, is the way of accelerating the soul's expansion. Mm-hmm. And so like, um, that's, it's, it's almost like you said the words that I said on another podcast where I talked about, like, we are out of the age of the guru looking to one person to guide that, you know, kind of thing. And. Um, and looking into partnership as a way, as a means to grow in our accountability, um, gave me chills. I like that. (laughs) I resonate with that. I fuck with that. So um, so talk to me about like, so cause you have a book coming out talking about a non-binary worldview. And that intrigues me deeply. I know that intersectionality is so important when we talk about wellness space. And I can come from uh, like, I'm cisgender female, but I am a minority. And so I know what it feels like to have be left out of some of these things and not be, feel like I'm in place. Um, one for you, Sue, um, what, what has that been like navigating the world I would say navigating the wellness space as uh, a non-binary and what does that mean to your expression of your spirit?
2: Yes, absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. So early on, I really sort of kicked back against that and, you know, experimented with my identity in so many different ways. Um, Celibacy, pansexuality, how I still identify, same-sex relationship. And I just, I didn't know, you know, and so I had to sort of be um, aggressive almost in my upbringing and my family was not excited, (laughs) you know, about that kind of an exploration. And sometimes I really also had to keep it to myself in ways because I just wasn't sure, right? It was still cooking. It was still baking. I didn't really understand how I wanted to explore intimacy in a way that uplifted um, such a big worldview, because I felt a lot of the costumes I had worn to date like weren't actually um, allowing full expression of what I wanted to be and how I wanted to express in the world. So, with the book in particular, and it's been a long journey in the making. I picked nine different binaries that culturally we build our identities upon. So I highlight the binary and personified action so that we can really understand what it is and how it shows up. And then debunk different cultural myths that we hear quite often, you know, about um, our bodies, our minds, our jobs, debunk those, and then really go into ways that we can develop a language set that isn't built on opposites, but is actually built on um, the continuum of identity. So it's not like I'm male or female. I'm actually learning how to um, express my creativity outside of the definitions of male and female.
1: Which I think in our society is super hard to do.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Dan, how has that opened up your identity um, to kind of let you explore your spectrum?
3: Well, great question. It's, it's really, I think, enabled me to kind of take feeling to the next level, if that makes sense. You know, like you alluded to earlier, men are, are conditioned, you know, not even just in this society. That's This is like a global issue, conditioned to not feel, to desensitize themselves to emotion, to the world, to humanity, to their being. And, you know, Sue's an amazing writer and, and the way she can convey this, Somewhat difficult to understand topic has really allowed me to relax into my comfortability in emotion and feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm incredibly grateful for that.
4: That's really cool.
1: Does the binary identity suffocate our ability to expand as spiritual people?
2: I would say absolutely.
1: Absolutely. That for me, because I'm, I'm super interested in how that could limit the way that we see our spirits and the way that we're able to grow.
2: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to take on the project is because there isn't really a language set that says, I can be and, and both. And in this context, I can be something else. And in this context, I can be something else. And I don't have to feel this emotional war within me because I'm switching uh, relationship to self, depending on who I'm with and what I'm doing, you know? And so a a lot of us spend a lot of time in our professional lives. So in one of the binaries I take on, um, like occupation, you're right, or uh, productivity, creativity, abundance, and lack, and really look at the way that even our, like colonial capitalistic society has set up different binaries of success and unsuccessful and ways that, you know, when we enter the workforce, we spend so much time in those environments that we actually limit our, you know, divine human capacities to express, connect, be um, equanimous or compassionate towards another human being. And just how unfortunate it is that even our language, like our neurolinguistics of our self understanding are set up in opposites.
4: mm mm-hmm.
1: yeah, Jen?
3: I don't know that I can say it better than that. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, so, like, I've been looking for a new way to express the feminine and masculine energies, the yin and the yang. Um, which I, I, you're a radical Buddhist, so like maybe you have some insight on this, because um, I understand that the feminine energies are not female; they are the B energy, and then the masculine energies are the Do energy, but. What's something else I can call it? Cause I get people that write me sometimes and they're like, I don't know, female, masculine, whatever. I'm like, this is just what like definition has called it. So I'm just like using the technical term, societal term. Um, how would you redefine that?
2: Yeah, no, I love that. I'm sort of working on the final edits right now for that chapter. And I think it's important to understand that we do live in a cis-normative heteropatriarchy, And so that's why it's so normal and so okay, even to say, you know, divine feminine or divine masculine, but that actually really uh, reinforces cis sexism in a way that is uh, limiting, even if you do identify as cis, because you don't get to have full expression of masculine qualities or whatever it may be. So I think the challenge and you know, sort of what I offer in section five of this particular chapter is how do we pronoun less? How do we listen more? And how do we actually start to erase those two words from our vernacular? And instead of saying my feminine energy, we say things that all beings have access to. Right, especially if they don't understand the word feminine, or you know, really physically or emotionally identify in that way. But that doesn't mean that they can't have access to creativity, intuition, freedom, flow, embodiment, boundarylessness. Right. So, using the actual attributes outside of you know defining them through uh, extrapolation of sex
4: mm-hmm. could be
2: a step. And I know that feels a little cumbersome at first but eventually what it does is sort of perpetuate the wholeness as opposed to trying to get someone into a category.
1: And I do think this is important as we talk about spirituality and intersectionality because even for myself, um, just learning about it can be cumbersome, like when you don't really understand and you make mistakes. And like, um, I remember I went to, um, I'm also a photographer, and I went to um, I don't know, it was like some feminist wedding uh, vendors group, and I love these women. Shout out to you guys if uh, you're listening. Um, but there was um, someone there who identified as a they, and I was trying so hard not to say her, and mm-hmm. like and 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 not offending her. And I was like, I'm I'm making so many mistakes because it's so ingrained. So um, maybe, and I don't know where the question is here, but like. Can you deeper explain that reassessment of pronouns and why is it so important? Because I think like as someone who's always identified as a she or her, um, I I still grapple with trying to understand that.
4: Totally. Yeah,
2: I think that's a great question and an amazing place to start to understand that, you know, even my psyche is gendered in my own relationship to self. So first and foremost, how do, not that we want to strip ourselves of the identity that feels most comfortable and expressive, but actually, so in the Vedantic tradition, meaning my meta-dialogue, the way that I actually talk to myself all the time, that is gendered. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we project outward so quickly in our language, because it feels more than second nature, right? It feels a part of us. And so that's what's so intriguing about it. You know, I think step one would maybe try to use the human's name more,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, and then sort of maybe even challenge yourself in your own meta dialogue, like Dan sort of gets frustrated with me sometimes, but I'd like talk in third person a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting way to sort of remove your attachment to your own story or your own identity, and even on a more um, deeply seated level your own gendered understanding of yourself. Mm-hmm right, then that can give you more space to listen, right, outside of yourself. And, you know, honestly, if I stumble at all, because of course, we're going to all make mistakes in that way, I just try to come back. The identity isn't necessarily hooked to body. Can I describe this person in a way that feels appropriate to them from what I've heard them say? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, I had a, we had an episode talking about sacred union uh, like a few back. And I was telling my story about like how I fell in love and whatnot. Um, the guest that we had on super great person. So here we are to cis heterosexual women talking about our experiences through sacred union. And so the natural inclination was to talk about it from our point of view of identity. And I had mm-hmm. someone write me and say, I felt left out of this conversation because I don't identify this way and you should know I think that's important and I was like whoa um one I felt really bad because like my my intentions are always good as far as like what we're trying to bring to the collective and then at the same time I was like well it's it's for me it was difficult to navigate because I was like yes of course I want to be inclusive but we were talking about our experiences so for someone to feel excluded out of our experiences I didn't know what to do like I wasn't sure what what to do with that so like maybe um, give me an idea of like how we can be more aware and more inclusive of the, when speaking about spiritual experiences. So that way everyone can feel they're on that journey.
2: Yeah, totally. So I want to acknowledge also that person being able to ask for the space, you right. Because that's so challenging to do sometimes because we are so programmed in this like cis sexism way. And so you know, just actually writing this this week, it's like, we, we as a culture only force certain people to be brave in that space, because we're unaware of the things that we're perpetuating. And so I think that's so interesting to sort of bring that whole framework to the surf surface, and and really beneficial to bring that to the surface. And in terms of, um, like sexuality and gender, it is really normal right now in the spirituality and wellness space to have sort of this cis normative heteropatriarchy language and we think that it's inclusive mm-hmm. you know so i want to make sure that you know you're not just sort of taking on that responsibility all by yourself and we really do realize <laughs> that it's like a, it's rampant, and it's it's I a
4: patriarchy. <laughs> <yeah.
2: laughs> um an issue that so many of us have to start looking at simultaneously. Um, I think what's helpful is just re-examining the pronouns. And if your partner does identify as cis, like you can just call him by his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, in ways that feel um, more expansive for the energy expression of both of you, then someone listening, I think, would have more access in that way as well, where they don't feel like, oh, like that's not me,
4: mm-hmm.
2: right, in that way.
1: Yeah.
3: Dan? Yeah, I, I see it. And, and, you know, obviously, this is easier said than done. <clears throat> clinging to our labels and, and defining ourselves by our labels will perpetuate the division. Mm-hmm. You know, and like Sue said, if we can just call her Sue instead of like she said, you know, um, I, th- I think that's, that's a great place to start. Uh, call them who they are, call them by their name,
4: mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm.
3: Let that kind of change the thought pattern, kind of rewrite the, the vernacular you know that sure that's that's like i said much easier said than done but it's it's a step in the right direction
2: and it sounds simple but i think there's a a large um
1: sort of echo effect
4: mm-hmm.
1: yeah interesting mm-hmm. that cause that conversation we had when we were speaking about partnership there was a lot of masculine feminine talk um given that those are the terms that we most identify with, uh, given our current society. So I thought that was very interesting. So when you, uh, when your email came in or when, some I think it, your, your publicist or somebody like emailed me and I was like, yes, let's talk about this. I want to talk about this. I just got something in my DMs and I'm ready. Um, super cool. So that's something I want to look at and think about. Cause I think just in terms of spirituality, as we talk about that, we're all one and how we all, um, you know, we're all kind of a fractal of the universe trying to experience itself. And that we do have at least uh, some, some sense of duality as far as like a species about how we procreate and things like that. But other than that, in our consciousness, it doesn't, it doesn't matter like at all. So this is, I think this is just opening for me, like as a way for me to like continue to expand. So thank you for uh, having that conversation with me. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about conscious consumption and talking about what does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, let's start there. What does that mean?
3: Yeah, conscious consumption. Uh, we could talk for days about this. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's looking at the gross, the physical, like right? what are, what we're eating, mm-hmm. and I see this as a amazing entry point into investigation of our own consciousness because it's something we do multiple times a day, no matter what. Yeah. Right. So if we can attribute just a little bit more attention to it over time that's going to open up doorways for, for self-discovery, uh, facilitate self-sovereignty, um, and help establish, uh, some mental resilience, you know, by starting with the food we're eating and cleaning up our diets, you know, obviously there's, yeah, you're eating cleaner. You're going to feel better, but you have to look at the kind of the deeper implications of that, um, internally, right. You're going to clean up your gut biome. And in doing so, Uh, And there's plenty of science behind this. I'm not just making this up. This is going to clean up your thought patterns. This is going to help you deal with anxiety. This is going to help you make better decisions. Um, So then applying that broader picture, uh, it's also better for the environment. Um, So, you know, take that one step further, right? So you've you've cleaned up your diet, your your thought patterns are changing, and this isn't an overnight thing. You know, you're not man, I had a really clean breakfast today. I think I've got it dialed. That's not it. But you do this for 90 days, uh, you know, nine years, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, um, you can take this self-sovereignty that you've built and in this in this uh, resilience that you're starting to establish and apply that to other aspects of your life. So, you know, you clean up the the conversations you're having, the emotions that you're taking on, you know, the way you scroll social media is going to change, yeah. so your your entire relationship to the universe will change. Your consciousness will shift, and and that uh, can start just by looking at what you're eating, what you're drinking, how you're breathing.
4: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, yeah. it's 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 a it's a lifetime practice.
1: Yeah, I like the connection that you made between the two um, because I've also looked at that science and thought like, mm, it's interesting how my intuition got so much stronger when I went vegetarian. Um, and then like some people consider vegetarian and and still eat dairy. I'm like, that's not vegetarian (laughs) to me. Right. Um, I stopped eating dairy too. And that's when all the downloads started coming in. My empathicness got more sensitive. Um, I started kind of looking, trying to see if there was a correlation between the two because um my it was my body who told me to stop eating these things, that I couldn't foster the type of not just expansion, but connection to spirit that I wanted to have, that I was asking for. I was like, I want to see the ghost again. And I want this thing, you know, like I was, I was in this process of this deep awakening again. And I was like, how can I progress? How can I make this stronger? And my body, higher spirit, higher self, whatever was like, you got to stop being me. And I was like, that's not the answer. <laughs> I fought it for just like a second. And then maybe like a month later, I started having all these sensitivities to me. And I was like, okay, cut it out. Um, but I'm not giving up pizza because I love cheese, you know? (laughs) And so then the next month, lactose intolerant almost immediately. And I was like, fuck, this is really strange. Um, my sensitivity to caffeine, couldn't drink alcohol anymore. Just like all of a sudden the shift within maybe four months and my intuition, uh, the opportunities that were available to me, how my career shifted, what I watch now, like everything changed. So, like, I'm interested in the science. Like, so what have you been able to look up that shows that there's a proof of a correlation between the two?
3: Oh, totally. Um, you could look Get at... Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I won't go crazy here and turn this into a bio. to go crazy.
4: Okay. Um,
3: the simple fact that, uh, take serotonin, for instance. 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. Hmm. Right, so we we have this idea that, like, you know, my brain's in my head, and that's what drives everything. And that's just not true. Um, the neural connection between our gut and our brain drives the vast majority of our processes. So, whether it's the neurotransmitter production in our gut, or um, I'm trying, I'm trying to reduce this without going on forever. But
1: please keep going. I we don't care.
3: Like, well, edit it bad. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, on the, on the superficial level, right? You eat crappy food. It's going to proliferate bad bacteria in your gut. These bad bacteria in your gut have a say in your decision-making process with that gut-brain connection, right? So it's going to make you continue to make poor dietary decisions, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're doing this, next thing you know, oh, I'm sick. Because I'm I'm either chronically insufficient or deficient in minerals. Now I'm subjected to Western medicine. Um, I don't want to change. Sorry. Word. Uh, I haven't established the self-sovereignty to make changes in my life, stick with these changes, and see what happens after a period of time. You're yeah. still fixated in the immediate gratification space of food through that imbalance of bacteria, which, you know, bacteria sound very insignificant, but they're extremely significant in our bodies and and how our bodies operate.
2: And then I cut in just for a second too. And we see all this like weird diet culture, willpower, all this yucky stuff in there that we actually emotionally self abuse Mm. in that space. So sometimes having this information makes you realize like, Oh yeah, well I did eat bread yesterday, and no wonder I'm getting the hit to go and eat a piece of cake today. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, emotionally inept, or it's not that I can't make this decision properly. You know, there, we actually have more information on how not to
4: emotionally abuse in this space. Mm.
3: Yeah, it's it's very much building momentum in one direction or the other. Uh, you know, I do see this as a binary thing of you're either improving your health or you're deteriorating your health. Mm -hmm. and that health could either look at your um, or apply to your life expectancy or just your overall health expectancy looking at the interplay between those two yeah Um, you know you take that one step further and and apply that to uh our consumer culture Mm -hmm. right and and obviously we live in a extremely uh pro-consumer culture and like i said this immediate gratification space where it's I don't need to change any of my habits or patterns or my life, I can just buy this and that'll do it for me. Or I can take this pill and do that for me. So I see just these, these dietary shifts as, as a great um, kind of jumping off point to investigating a lot of these other shifts that you can instill in your own life without having to rely on others to fix it for you or, or play into a system that will not heal you, will keep you healthy enough to stay in the system. So taking control of that on your own, um, you know, we we kind of dubbed this the higher octaves of consciousness, cleaning out the container gives you access to those levels.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So what does that entail? Your story is amazing. Like,
2: oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, like actually having that um, sensitivity, one, to listen, and two, to sort of question it right there in that little space and then three to actually say wow I did question it and my body's not into this no. okay I'm I'm actually going to um, implement my own emotional understanding of myself to you know be a steward of my own well-being because I inspired myself to do it
4: yeah
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> there are people I know that will be offended or feel conscious about, you know, anytime we say like you should go vegetarian or uh anything that promotes the message around conscious consumption. You kind of said it earlier, like um about like, you know, I should just be able to grab this and this and this just gratify my own needs. Um what why do you think that there's such a, a lashback um between the meat and non-meat, dairy and non-dairy, you know, like um if everybody's supposed to live their life and their experience and um, you know and I'm just being devil's advocate, like what can this diet offer them, um, in terms of consciousness that wouldn't necessarily feel like it's, it's, uh... so for instance, like us saying cleaning up your diet could be subjective because a lot of people say, no, like eating meat and vegetables is very healthy and I work out and I'm fit and I'm this and I'm that. So wh- where would you see the difference or the deline- delineation between the conscious consumption versus the being fit or well?
3: Totally. totally. Um, I'll start with, I think dietism is a serious issue in our culture, you know, of, of somebody saying like, I cut this out and everybody else should too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like 7 billion people in the world. There very well could be 7 billion different optimal diets, yeah. you know, and I think um, starting to investigate conscious consumption is the only, <coughs> excuse me, the only way you can find that out for yourself. Um, Because it is very, very, very individualistic. But there's this narrative of I'm right, you're wrong in so many different spaces right now that why wouldn't it be in diet? Mm -hmm. That's that's not the point, right? You know, her diet is different than my diet and our diets are different than your diet and our diets are probably different than most of your listeners' diets. And that's okay, Mm -hmm. right? As long as your diet is serving you authentically and only you can know that
1: i love that thank you for saying that because i think like i i know what works for me but i can't tell people what works should work for them and there doesn't seem to be some underlying answer that is across the board for anyone so thank you for mentioning that
3: yeah the caveat that to that being you know initially so say this is something you've never looked into and you're very much on the western diet and um insufficient in a lot of nutrients and and borderline yeah. sick yeah. i i do think there are prescribed protocols that can dig you out of that hole but right
2: hence protocol meaning like an intervention with food as medicine right and for some people that might include animal products and for some people that might not include animal products but it's good to know Sometimes we get into this mind space with food of like, I'm going to do this for five years or like, this is just my diet for the rest of my life. And to actually see it as these little strategic building blocks that can be interventions as opposed to this like moral complex that you're going to sort of abuse yourself with for the next 15 years. Yeah.
3: I think a, I think a good parable would be, you know, the first time you step on a yoga mat, your practice looks significantly different than the last time you stepped on your yoga mat, right? So diet, uh, your conscious consumption, your lifestyle, why would that be any different? You know, it's this ever evolving, very fluid thing.
1: Yeah, but to be conscious of it, so that way you can be at least mindful to what your body is asking for. Exactly. Um, So (laughs) conscious consumption, what about eating mushrooms? Cause I know you guys talk about, I mean, look what I'm looking at behind you right now is a picture of some mushrooms. Um, so, you know, like, uh, conscious learning through psychedelic teachings, um, plant medicine, um, you know, things like that. We've, we've had very few episodes on that. Um, but it's something I'm interested in, not something I've partaken in yet. Um, but I would love to hear, first of all, let's hear your kooky experiences because, you know, let's for entertainment value, I guess. And then um understand like what has that what has it done for your spiritual
4: experience. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. So I actually found meditation first in my teens and then started experimenting with psychedelics in my twenties. Um so I didn't really have like that sort of kooky experience where you go to a party and the old weird dude in the corner offers you something, you know? <laughs>
4: Luckily, I got to buy that one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so, some of my like sort of kooky experiences were really through long periods of meditation where I had psychedelic experiences free of substance,
4: mm-hmm. and so
2: that's what got me really intrigued in partaking in psychedelics in a way and. I'll speak directly to psilocybin and ayahuasca those are the two things that have been very transformative in my life over time and so I entered it with a totally different framework than sort of having any recreational experience out of the gate with it and um they paralleled my like intense meditation experiences that weren't um facilitated through substance
4: and
2: yeah Uh, we both had different experiences pre-meeting each other Mm -hmm. right sort of another foundation for our conscious partnership is like we just went really deep really quick really like immediately so we laid all this stuff out on the table like these this is something that's a part of my life you're either in support of it or not can we work with this together Mm
3: -hmm. yeah so kind of the inverse um i found psychedelics before meditation so, you know, in hindsight, I can look back and see just without having a contemplative practice or something to where I can assimilate the teachings from the psychedelic experience, I can see those initial times as very kooky, right? I, I, I didn't know, I wasn't bringing anything back from that stuff. It was very recreational and irresponsible, honestly. Um, but once I did find meditation, find contemplative practice. Uh, Those entheogenic experiences became much more profound on even smaller quantities, which, you know, seems kind of paradoxical, but the reality is, is once you are familiar with your psyche and you're not just, you know, this 18 year old kid who doesn't give a shit about anything and just, you know, pops some mushrooms and is like, wow, that was crazy. Wasn't it? You know, that's, that's, that's not what they're that's not what they're for you know and so having having a bit of understanding of you know what is going on in here what's my driving force what's my who who is who am i you know then these experiences get to be really profound life changing powerful mm-hmm. solo and in partnership
1: what have you experienced together
2: yeah so sometimes we will dose together and sometimes one person will dose and the other person won't mm-hmm. and we'll sort of switch roles back and forth like that. Um, so one, the container is really safe and we don't have anyone else with us. You know, it's just the two of us. Um, and honestly, you course sort of have to get there, if that makes sense. It's not better or worse. It's just you really have to understand like if some weird shit comes up, uh, you know how to handle it with each other mm-hmm. if one's dosing or you're both dosing. So it is good to do um, first and foremost out of the gate in really safe community and rigorously vet who you're with, mm-hmm. you know, who you're engaging in the experience with until you feel like there's some understanding in the way that you can engage with the medicine. And then together, it becomes really effective, especially for the integration period, when we get to actually talk about it and what we see, what we saw, and what was purged and what came up inside the realm of the meta-dialogue in ways that we actually can put that into action in our
4: waking life. Hmm. Yeah. Good.
3: Oh. Um, so you know, like Sue said, I, I think it's something that it sounds great on paper, like, yeah, I'm gonna dust with my partner and this will be awesome. <laughs> um, but I think what we all need to understand is That experience is far more intimate than any sexual experience you can have, um, any intellectual experience you can have, and that needs to be held with very high respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you do find someone that you have that level of of comfortability with, I think it's it's a great barometer for uh, establishing what connectivity means to you. Mm -hmm. So I obviously feel more connected to Sue than I have uh, any other person in my entire life. And in a psychedelic experience, having that barometer of connectivity and feeling that to all other things is, I can't put into words, you know, that's something to experience. And I hope everyone has that opportunity.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm having deja vu right now, which is really strange. Like we've had this conversation, but in my dream, Um, I do that a lot. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, So is this something that you guys facilitate for other couples? Or other just
2: other people. Yeah, that was on the agenda this year, COVID not having it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all kinds of plans.
2: Yeah. yeah. And we we've um thought, let's do it, let's do it. And then Universe had said, wait, wait, wait. You know, and so it's been years that we've been doing this together and twenty twenty just said wait.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so we do spiritual partnership workshops that don't include substance mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. and so then it was just like we have to have the level of um like steadfastness in our containers, and t- 2020 wasn't the vehicle for it, and that's a hundred percent okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the past we have done microdosing workshops, mm-hmm. uh, which are, are pretty fun, pretty cool.
4: I'm sure they were fun. <laughs> there was no substance considered in the workshop.
3: <laughs>
1: so what do you think like for 2020 what's the biggest transformation you guys have embarked on
4: together towards your consciousness? Mm. Wow. Like the look on your
1: faces right now I'm sorry just to dictate to our <laughs> listeners they both <laughs> like went right up into space
4: real quick for a while to reflect. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, in relationship, so to partnership, we are really engaged in our own individual projects at this time. And, you know, Live Lightly isn't the only company that we run together. So, honestly, we've had to actually like give each other a massive amount of space in 2020. So, when Dan goes to do his thing for six to seven hours and, you know, I sit down to write, we aren't really engaging with each other at all you know and honestly like when we do it gets a little bit annoying and i'm just trying to be transparent because we have to pull out of the project to then sort of engage in the relationship and so i think for 2020 we've had to give each other a tremendous amount of working space and creative freedom and that requires a different level of um, holding space. You know, it's not emotionally engaged in like talking through things or talking through the relationship or the business or the numbers or anything like that. We've actually both had to be okay with it. That, that is taking a back seat in terms of verbal communication and that the nonverbal communication of actually allowing the other person to flourish in their space has been a big learning and working for me in 2020.
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think finding space in close proximity. Uh, I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to that this year, um, you know, kids being in the house and things like that. Yeah. I didn't
4: know that.
3: Um, but yeah, finding space in close proximity has, has been um, interesting to navigate, but I think we're finding a nice balance in that. Um, and then I also think, you know, kind of holding each other accountable to, Hey, I can't do the news reel today. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll chat with you about it tomorrow. One of us
4: wants to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I,
3: I just need a break from it today. I just can't do it. Like 2020 is still going to be happening tomorrow. We can chat about it then, but today I need a break.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that, that understanding for each other and what each other's needs are in that moment. Um, totally. That's really beautiful. Now, I feel like I can talk to you guys forever. And I, there's some other stuff I want to talk to you about on the Patreon. We're going to do our little 10-minute after show. Um, but like, if there was a message that you wanted to give the collective right now, like, what is the most important thing both of you guys uh, feel they should hear?
3: Ooh, I got one. Find the high road. Right yeah. now, it's so easy to get drawn into the mud. Mm-hmm. There is so much division. Um, and I think if we can take a step back and we can see that that division is not by accident, and if we as a collective could take the high road, these issues in politics, these issues in social injustices, will find solutions together to mm-hmm. take the high road.
4: Okay. yeah i
2: think that i would say you're valuable you're really valuable and if you're really damn valuable so is somebody else
4: mm. oh yeah yeah damn
1: that kind of hit me in the gut a little bit
2: yeah i try not to tear up
1: <laughs>
2: but just like man come on you guys you're worth it and so is somebody else
1: Mm-hmm simply put, but it's so powerful. Wow. Um, okay. So before we go, sorry, I just need to like process that guys. I hope you're doing the same. Um, where can people find you? And, and, you know, this is the time we can promote your shit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find us at live lightly, live lightly com, And then our Instagram handles are almost identical underscore live lightly underscore and live lightly underscore, um, you know, I do have a love-hate relationship with the DMs, but I probably will answer you. Maybe not right away, but but I probably will. And that's important to us, you know. Not that we're worried about the community being too small or too big, but I think personal interaction is really important and send us an email. We'll
1: respond. You know,
2: that's important to us.
1: Cool awesome well we're going to continue this conversation over at patreon guys i hope you got a lot out of this episode i sure did i feel like i'm still a little bit spinning because i'm like now we didn't get to go as deep as i wanted to go because there's so many things that you guys offer the world and it's super valuable so we're super thankful um you guys if you like this episode make sure to subscribe and rate so you never miss an episode and then share this episode with someone you love we'll see you in the next one bye yeah.
0: guys and now what you've been waiting for or hopefully you've been waiting for (laughs) this is our weekly wisdom card pool so what wisdom do we have for you this week card i'm pulling is the all tied up card an all tied up card is about what is keeping you down, what is holding you down this week, what has been in your way that you are afraid to let go of, that is keeping you from moving forward in a beautiful, expansive way. Uh, when we feel tied up, it's usually about mentalities or programs or paradigms that we've adapted through some type of conditioning or a uh, trauma that we've suffered of some sort. So. Why don't you pay attention to this week to what your triggers may be and where you have identified with your limiting beliefs, where you have decided that this is who I am. There's no way out of this. I can't expand because I'm tied up in the way that I think about this thing in the way that I receive this thing. Things can't work out for me because I can't do that because... Um, You know, where are you limiting yourself and where is that belief coming from? I do believe that it takes an immense amount of self-awareness to be able to discover what that is. But if you're able to start paying attention to your behaviors, and if you're able to start paying attention to more than anything, the way you speak to yourself, you may find very easily and very quickly what it is that's holding you back. What are your paradigms? What narrative are you holding? What stories are you telling yourself? What is holding you down? And perhaps you give yourself permission to cut those ties this week and say, you know what? This no longer serves me snip snip. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and can't wait to see you guys next week.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, buy me at the to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon as always. Thank you for listening.